Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. If you would like to contact us, the phone number is 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. You can email us, radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. This week on the show, well, this is actually going to be one episode. My guest co-host is Tracy, and we spoke to her via Skype last year. We were originally going to release these as a week's worth of episodes, but in order to keep it topical and relevant, we have condensed all of these episodes into one episode. Let's join the conversation via Skype with Tracy in Massachusetts. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. We have listeners in Boston, so where exactly are you? They'll want to know. I'm in Brockton. I'm in um, the not very nice part south of Boston. Boston accents are my favorite thing <laughs> in the world, so <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'm where everyone moves away from. <laughs> the city <wins. laughs> I would probably like it. I would probably like it. Addiction's bad around there. Are the meetings good? Um, we have meetings everywhere, but in... Um, honestly, I've, I'm on methadone. Uh huh. I've been on methadone for a couple of years. It keeps me from using myself as a human dartboard. So to me, I consider myself, uh-huh. you know, in recovery. Um, but they don't accept that around here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you take aspirin or Advil. You know, they're not. Yeah, I know. It, there's so. the people feel differently about it, it depending on where you go. Like you know what I mean? Right. When so when did you get clean? Well, I actually, um, when I did a little stint um, in Framingham State Prison in 2007, Uh I did like five weeks in there, um, and that's when I got clean. So it's been a little over 10 years. Oh, my God. But I was clean, clean. Yeah, I was like, I did... um, from jail, I did house arrest and a program, and I was on nothing. Uh-huh. Um, and then I did a year program on nothing, and I ended up getting pregnant, and I knew there was going to be a problem right after. So I got set up to get on Zaboxin uh-huh. right after I had the baby, and um, I started Zaboxin in 2008, and then um, I started methadone in 2010. When I, when I got off heroin, I... I, I did it the reverse way as you. I was on methadone first and then Suboxone. Um, what made you switch from okay. Suboxone to methadone, out of curiosity? Um, well, when I switched, it was... Uh, the Suboxone hadn't been around that long. Yeah. And the doctors out here um, weren't taking insurance. It was like $300 your first visit, then 200 yep. or 150 or $100 every visit after that. Yep, and, same um, here. I couldn't... I couldn't afford it. And I was like, well, you know, methadone seems to be, you know, I was also pregnant. So, oh, right, um, right, right. I weighed my options. Yes. I, well, right before I started methadone, um, we discussed having a baby. Uh huh. And I weighed my options. I did some research between Zvox and methadone. And methadone had been given to pregnant women for over 30 years, whereas Zvoxin and Subutex had only been around for five years. Uh huh. And they didn't know, you know, what the outcomes would be and all this and all that. Unfortunately, my daughter, um, she came home with me from the hospital. She had no withdrawal symptoms. I mean, you'd have to be naive to say she had no withdrawal because obviously she was in me for nine months with methadone, but right. she didn't show any symptoms. You know what I mean? So they let her come right home. She didn't need any meds or anything. And she's six now and 
perfectly healthy and happy and cool. She had no withdrawal symptoms, none. Yep. Well, I, I was mean, very you know, lucky because I heard horror stories. Oh, I, I have too. I totally have too. I mean, uh, my my uh, fiance was born addicted to methadone, and uh, but he, of course he doesn't remember anything because he's in his forties, so he can't right. tell you. But I mean, yeah, he never became a, he never became an addict or anything. But I mean, yeah, he's perfectly right. healthy and shows no signs. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because like people like, and when they say that, they say you can be, you know, they say you know your kid's gonna be born addicted to methadone, and it's like, well, technically, there's two, um, you know, there's two sides to addiction. It's physical and mental. And mm-hmm. yes, the child will be physically dependent, but they're not psychologically dependent because they don't know any different. Right. So therefore, technically, the child is not born an addict. They're born. On, dependent right do you know what i mean yeah i totally know so, what you mean. yeah i and she i was lucky like i said because i've heard people that have had kids in there for weeks but i wasn't on anything else i was on methadone i wasn't on you know i know other people that are on benzos and this and that while they're pregnant too and um at the time when i had her i was strictly on methadone do you know a lot of people on methadone who have double habits and still use? Do you see a lot of that at the clinics or no? Oh God, uh, You know what? That's what gives methadone such a bad name because I'm on methadone and I also have like tons of health issues too. So I'm on other meds, no other opiates or anything. Uh-huh. But um, people are like, how, how are you on methadone and you're not nodding off? You're not falling asleep. You're always chasing your kids around. I'm like, because... I'm not using it just to get off E. There's people that'll go in there and use it just to get, you know, till they meet Paco around the corner to pick up in the morning. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it gives everyone a bad name. It does. No, it definitely does. And I mean, I was one of those people before I did, before I got in Suboxone, when I was on methadone, I really didn't have any interest in getting clean. I just didn't want to wake up sick. So I was, I, but you know, that ended up being really hard to quit because I had a double habit. I was on heroin, mm-hmm. methadone, and I was smoking crack. So, I mean, that was... So, but everyone talks about how it makes you want crack. I'm like, I haven't touched anything <laughs> since I've been on, like, meth. I've never wanted to smoke crack. Well, you yeah, know what people I mean? who like, want to smoke like, crack are crack addicts. <laughs> like, there's... It wouldn't right. make a... Nor- well, it wouldn't make my producer want to smoke crack. That's for sure. <laughs> right. And, like, I'm addicted to everything. Gambling, shopping, spending money. Like, I'm an addict all around. You know what I mean? Right. And, um... I, like, I used to... I was doing the coke and then I smoked crack and then I've done everything. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. it's just when I decided to get clean, I just got clean I was like you know this it's um you know addiction is a problem it's not a choice but recovery is that's why I always say like you can choose not to you know give into that addiction anymore so many people say oh you know relapse is a part of addiction you know what don't give me that bullshit yeah I'm sorry I don't know if I can say no yeah you totally can um, so many people use that as an excuse you know and um I had an ex who relapsed over and over and over and I would give him chance after chance after chance because oh I'm an addict and it took me a couple times to get clean but it's like after you know 10 years I'm finally calling it quits you know what I mean like I can't I can't do it it's not healthy for me it's not healthy for my kids it's not 
you know what I mean? My kids walk down like one of the main streets in Brockton where you, you pick up and half the guys on the street, they are uncle this, uncle that. I'm like, that's friggin' terrible. Oh, really? You know what I mean? So and there's a lot of like, it. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. There's a lot of it. You can find it anywhere, anywhere. That's... And like, I live in one of the worst, probably the one of the worst neighborhoods around. Um, it's, and it's everywhere. And like, you'll walk down the street and people are going, are you good, mommy? Are you good? You good? Oh, my daughter goes, God. So, yeah. My daughter goes, people are so polite around here. <laughs> oh, I go, honey. God. <laughs> I go, no, they're not. A, they don't give a shit how you are. I like, yeah, I don't know what I would do if, if uh, I had to walk down the street with people offering it, you know, cause it's like, I, I'm, I guess lucky in the sense that I can avoid those areas. And I know when mm-hmm. I get to those areas that that's what's going to happen. So, I mean, I look at the ground because, yeah, I mean, I'm an addict on the inside. It's like I, there's always right. going to be that part of me that drools when I think about it. You right. know what I mean? Right. That forgets mm-hmm. how good I feel being clean and want, and just wants to, oh, yeah, let me just duck in that dirty alley and do some dirty shit. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like that part of me will never I, I, die. I, I, right. And you know what? I don't know. Like for me, I guess being around it and living in the middle of it, like, like having dealers all around, like on every side of me, gives me. I look out my window and it's like I don't want to be the one running out at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I don't. You know, you hear horror stories about mothers that left their kids in the crib and their two-year-old was found walking down the street. Um, you know, at like four o'clock in the morning because the mother left because she had to go pick up uh-huh. and you know she had to go pop or whatever and left the kid at home alone and the kid got out of the house. Yeah. Probably happened three times last year. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like um, Fourth of July weekend, this woman called me. She was so upset about the one overdose they had in their town. We had, I want to say, 48 overdoses. In your town? Yes. Wow. That's like that town in Kentucky they keep talking about because all the dope is cut with fentanyl. And that town in Kentucky, it's like there's like a a 911 uh, overdose call like every three minutes or something crazy. So your town is really up there with that. Yeah. And we they did um, intervention came out here in 2008 and did did a um, special on heroin and, you know, abuse on the South Shore in, you know, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And they were they said they were disgusted at the overdose rate of 588. Last year, we hit almost 2,000 people. Ah. Of um, They died of, you know, opiate overdoses. Oh and it's, it makes me sick because they thought they're like a third of them had heroin in their system, but 67% had fentanyl. So wow. more people are overdosing because of the fentanyl than actual heroin. Yeah. And it's like, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, the heroin statistics are going down. No, no, they're not, you know, and they try and play it like it's a good thing. There's less heroin. Uh-huh. No, there's more fentanyl. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like more people dying fentanyl. So there's really, I mean, they, 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 you know, 10 years ago, they discussed it at the 500. Well, we've quadrupled that. Right. And I don't see anybody coming out here to do any specials now. You know? Yeah. I mean? Now you know, they're like, oh, God, we're fucked. <laughs> 
I know. I mean, (laughs) the addict inside me, you know, it's like that's what worries me is when I hear like, oh, the heroin's cut with fentanyl and everybody's, you know, overdosing. The dirty addict inside me is like, damn, because I could barely get high anymore at the end. I wish my stuff was cut with, you know what I mean? Like the whole, the head run starts happening where it's like, oh, if I use now, I bet the stuff is really heavy because everybody's dying from it. And that's a sick thought. (laughs) And we have, um, they found this stuff. The car fentanyl, it's called, and it's actually um, an elephant. It's tra- it's fentanyl they make for elephants. Okay? Oh and yeah, an elephant tranquilizer. Even, yes, and they found it out here in the dope out here. Um, so it's like just people touching it is it's enough to kill you. Like, and that's why I'm that I'm so glad I'm clean because if I was using that would be the stuff I wanted the most. I'd be like, get me that stuff, the stuff that's for elephants. I know. You know. <laughs> yeah, and everyone says everyone's like, "What are you guys stupid? All the addicts run to you know whoever dies." There, I'm like, "Yeah, because that's a good." Hit. I'm like, "That's how, you know." I'm like, "No one's getting high off anything else, right?" You know, if they get that, they're gonna probably get two uses out of one bag instead of one shitty bag. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, it's terrible. But me and my ex used to have this thing, and it was it was, it was our kitchen rule. It's like nobody used in my, if you were in the kitchen, because if you go down, I will carry your ass over the threshold because no one's ODing in my house. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That used to be the rule. And he used to have to test it before me because he was we had the same tolerance, but he was bigger. So if he didn't go down, I knew I was good to go. Right. But, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. guinea pig. It's horrible, but that's what addicts do. And we were you going through a finger in eight hours of good dope. Right. But it's just like it was just we were doing so much and you become so greedy and so you know, it was I was going through a finger a day, you know, getting, getting a finger a day off my dealer. It was horrible. And it, yeah, it gets to the point where it doesn't work anymore and that's that's when we wanna get yeah. clean. So Tracy, tell yes. us what you know about overdose awareness. Um, well, um, the International Overdose Awareness Day was started in Melbourne, Australia by two people um, in 2001. It was a woman that worked for the Salvation Army doing the needle exchange program and a co-founder. Um, he's worked for like the Department of Public Health down in Australia. Um, so they were just talking one day basically and figured they'd start something around Australia and it just spread by two you know, couple of years it was all over the world I didn't know it started yes. in Australia so, I didn't even know that dope was a problem in Australia yeah yep 16 years ago so you figure I mean it must have been pretty bad because I've only literally I've only heard of it literally in the past two years like I know of harm yep. reduction services because I've always used them um Mm-hmm. But I did not know, and harm prevention services, uh, but I did not know um, that it had been around for 16 years. Like uh, a year ago, we had a girl named Savannah O'Neill, and that's her specialty. She works with uh, harm reduction services in Oakland, and uh, they give out the safe shots. And, you know, I mean, what's sad is how many people are dying anyway with all of the awareness. I feel like right. there's not enough overdose awareness. There's definitely not. And um, a friend of mine, he started a fund for his son. It's called No First Time. He lost his son to um, opiates. Um, John Green and Stephanie Green, um, they go around and just educate people all over wherever. And they, you know, bring people with them um, to teach students, to teach whoever, you know, about this. And and he started it because I think his son was 19 when he died. And um, 
you would never know it because I mean, they were a, a nice, you know, family and you, you know, they lived nicely and, um, just great people. But mm-hmm. instead of keeping it a secret, like so many people want to do mm-hmm. and they'll say, Oh, they just, you know, had a heart failure or they had pneumonia. It's like how many 23 year olds are dying of pneumonia? You I know, know when you just, hear heart attack, it's like, what kind of a kid has a heart yeah, attack? Yeah. illness. Yeah, and they say, oh, from respiratory, from heart failure. Everybody dies from heart failure. Everybody dies because their heart gives out. Yeah. It's like, but why did their heart give out? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the same Mm -hmm. thing with the suicides that have been happening. You know, death by hanging. It's like, yeah, the rope killed the person, but there was heroin in their system. Totally off topic, but... um. When I was in high school, I had a boyfriend that committed suicide. Oh, I'm by sorry. Hanging. And it was horrible. And um, it's like we did drugs back then, too. And it's like I always wonder, like, what was, you know what I mean? Like, had he taken something else that night or whatever? I mean, I was only 16. He was 17 years old. Yeah. I mean, but that's something that I'm 30-ish, a little over. Uh-huh. But we'll stick with 30. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. And, um, <laughs> and um we I, I still think about it like it's something I dream about I, it's horrible you know what I mean and it's like I just feel terrible it's like all these parents and families and the people left behind it's just it's sickening it really is you know it's it's really and it's tragic you know when it's like because we all do drugs because we're self-medicating you know that's why we're doing drugs in the first place something's not right Mm -hmm. and we're trying to fix it with drugs and uh, you know obviously like that doesn't work but it's like yeah people who kill themselves it's like i always wonder if there's one more thing they could have tried or you know what it was that caused that because we never know what's inside somebody's head but I just know all of like especially like with Chester Bennington uh from Lincoln Park and Chris Cornell it's like oh my god drugs were such a part of that you know they both had relapses and they both struggled with addiction and and alcoholism and it's like that's what killed them not the noose or the rope you know or the exercise band or whatever it was it's it's this right. is, yeah, it's the disease. That's what killed them is the drugs. Yeah. So, I mean, is there, right. so you said there's a lot of, there's a lot of drug use. We talked about that yesterday. There's a lot of drug use in their town. Is there a lot of um, overdose prevention awareness? Um, yes and no. Like I said, the meetings, yes, we have um, a drop-in center. There's basically like one major drop-in center in Brockton that does the Narcan. They do um, HIV testing, all that stuff. It's also a place for like, the homeless to go and you know what I mean they'll educate you on drug use and all this but and the, um we have two methadone clinics and this boxing clinics and they really don't say much it's just that's their way of making money and it's yeah you know what I mean like but they actually um opened up a place in Boston on they call it methadone mile because <laughs> that's where everybody's all screwed up all methadone it's, mile it's terrible, but wow yeah, a place where you can go in yes and and be high like you can like be high there and and people will watch you you know what i mean like oh my god you can actually go yeah and be monitored you know what i mean like while you're high to make sure that you don't fall out or good god i'm glad that i didn't live in boston i don't know if i would be clean (laughs) that's scary (laughs) it's horrible that's like some european stuff where you're allowed, it's like, oh, yeah, in this park, we've got, you know, special lights so you can see your veins better. You know, I mean, I hear crazy stuff, you know, or they make heroin yeah, legal. Talking, yeah, they're talking about open up places where it's legal to use. 
you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that you can use legally. Like, in this place, you can go in there and be high legally. I, I don't believe they let you use in there, but um, you can be watched. You know what I mean? You it can go in there and nod out and somebody's going to wake you up if, or, you know, or. Yeah. God. Make sure just, you're not dead. Yeah. That is so bizarre. I mean, I remember in the, when I got on methadone, yeah. when I first got on methadone, I would be in the clinic and they would make sure that, because a lot of people, well, almost everybody I knew at the clinic had double habits. So they right. would make sure, you know, like somebody, you know, specifically got their dose to get loaded and they would definitely watch that person fall out, you know, and then that yeah. would be a big deal. And then it was like yeah, no take I, home and all that. Yeah. And like I have five take homes, so I only have to go twice a week, which is good. Um, and they I see them deny people doses all the time in my clinic. And it's like if you've gone in there drunk once, you get um, breathalyzer tested for the oh. rest of the time. you So if you have any alcohol in your system, you're screwed. You're not getting your dose. Yeah. They watch people in line. If they see your eyes going, I went in there with food poisoning once, like throwing up wicked sick. I could hardly stand up. And they made me take a urine, everything to make sure that I wasn't on anything right. before they even doped me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is good. But I mean, sometimes it's like they have people leaving there in ambulances anyways. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like they, people get, you know, they get their dose and then they go into, they call it the bat cave because it's a bat <laughs> bus station. And and people, you know, do whatever they're going to do over there. And then they go back and then they nod out and slurring and ambulances are called and everything else. So, God, it's yeah, it's nothing nice. Yeah. It's like I feel like, you know, some people just don't want to get clean. Some people just don't want don't want the recovery. They more want, uh, you know, to stay loaded or to stay like they're living. Because uh, one thing about San Francisco, one thing about the Bay Area is the city gives homeless addicts very expensive free tents. And it's like rent is expensive here. Because I've even looked at these addicts tents and been like, dude, I could be in one of those tents. You know, they're nice tents. But they basically now they have yeah. a place to shoot dope and smoke crack right under the bridge, you know, and it's like. San Francisco doesn't do anything about it. They just give them general assistance, so they all get $495 on the first of the month, and they immediately go to the dealer. And the rest of the month is yeah, all hustle. Yeah, yeah and that's ridiculous. what it's like around here. It's like the first and the third. It's like they yep. see everywhere. You know what I mean? And it's like everyone's going to – it's like you'll see 26 arrests. Like yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And they have like – um. They did like a huge arrest probably maybe like eight years ago around 2007, well, God, eight, ten years ago, um, where they arrested people for like trafficking all over the place. And so many people went to um, federal prison and stuff like that. Um, and then it's like last month, 26 people were arrested in drug and prostitution and gun sweeps in Brockton. Damn. And it's like. This is where I live. And it's like, oh, I know that person. I know that person. And it's like, out of the 26, I know 20 of them. Right. You know what I mean? And it's sad. It's just, it's, and like, I, you know, I I never want to say it because no addict should ever say I'll never use again. Right. But I just look at my kids and it's like, they've been through so much already. My nine-year-old was diagnosed with PTSD um, at six. Because of the DV she had seen. That, uh -huh. Then that's what started my whole vlog. Um, because my husband had gotten arrested for DV. And I had no one to talk to. And someone's like, just stop 
a blog and I did. And now it's just turned into this thing where I help all these people with DV addiction and this and that. And, um, they wanted to medicate her at, you know, sat her on meds at six. I was oh, like, no, no, I'm not having her go that route. So you know what? She has a panic attack, something now I, I'll get, I have a box of Benadryl, give the kid half a Benadryl, calm her down. And that's all like, and she's enough to tolerate, you know what I mean? She's yeah, tolerable no, I get it. Rest. I don't, I, I see kids that are on meds and they're like on trazodone and they're on uh respiritol and they're, yeah, I mean, they're on everything and it freaks me out because yeah. they're growing. And I remember being in that, I remember when I was growing and hormonal and just screwed up anyway, cause I was a teenager and we were all screwed up. And I imagine what right. if I was on a cocktail of meds? Oh my God. I don't know that I would even yeah. be alive right now. I will probably have offed myself yeah. at some point because it just screws me. Yeah, and that's, what I, and that's what I said. You know what? I'm not I'm not putting her on anything. I started her in counseling when she was six. Um, she was at like a five, which they considered the highest, and they wanted to get her down to a two, where she could tolerate her, you know, anxiety and uh-huh. this and that. Offered meds. I, I kept saying, nope, nope, nope. And um, I talked to her pediatrician, and she said, Keep a box of Benadryl in the house. If she ever has like a full-blown panic attack, break it in half, give her one. She said, you know, bring her down and she'll be able to deal with it. Right. So, I mean, I've probably had to do that a handful of times in the past couple of years, but I refuse to be giving my kid clonidine. Oh, my because God. Because I'm a kid. Yeah, that's a kick med. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you give your nine-year-old, eight-year-old clonidine. Oh, yeah, if that's for at bedtime, after the Ritalin, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. I am joined um, by way of Skype with this week's guest, uh, Tracy Levine, who is a blogger and lives in Brockton, Massachusetts, where there's a ton of drugs. <laughs> We've been discussing that. It, not to glorify the using days, but we do this because some people think, oh, my God, I've done things that are so bad that I can't get clean. You know, and, and uh, I can't fix my life because I've done this thing that's awful. And we just try to tell stories for the listeners and for the audience that they can relate to. So I just actually posted it probably about a year and a half ago because I was still too embarrassed Your about blog? what, you know, it was crack. It was, yes, I posted it about a year and a half ago uh-huh. because I was still too embarrassed right. to um, talk about what I had done um, because it was we were smoking crack one night. And... Um, of course, this guy that I met, he was a dealer. He calls like four in the morning and he's like, oh, I got this great stuff. Come by, pick up a bag. You know, I'll give it to you for free. I'm like, oh, great. Sure, I'll be right there. Okay, I don't even know what I was thinking. It was, this was the crack, obviously. Oh, my God. Thinking, I me. tell everybody but, um, crack will turn you into a fiend. Yeah. I get it. Yes. I smoked so it, I got so I get it. <laughs> and Yeah. So I got over there and... um I was like sitting there and he's like, long story short, basically he was on top of me, um, trying to rape me. Yeah. Um, he had nothing for me. He was on top ah, of me trying shit. to rape me. Luckily it was the middle of the projects and I got my knee onto the horn of the car and, um, it was four o'clock in the morning. People didn't know what he's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Do it in a gun. I wasn't about, you know what I mean? I was yeah. scared. So, I, and I, I was gone for a long time. And um, my husband, when I got back, I was freaking out, crying. And he's like, where have you been? And I told him what happened. He's like, you're a liar. You smoked it all. And I'm oh, like, no. really? I'm like, I just confided like the most horrific thing that's ever happened to me. 
but it's not it was wasn't him it was the crack because he's sitting there feeding and waiting to yeah. home with something that I was supposed to home with and I'm like how can you accuse me of making up this heinous story and you're supposed to be my support system and you're accusing me of saying I was almost raped and, and, and keeping a 40. Right. I, I was insane, you know? So it was like, I was lucky to get out of there. And a couple of years after he had asked me for his name and where he was, um, you know, once we got clean, um, because he wanted to go take care of the problem. And I right. said, no, I'm not giving you his name. I'm not giving you nothing. What good is you going down there and getting a bullet in your head going to do? For you, what, what point is that going to prove? You know what I mean? It's yeah. going to be, he had me, you know, with this terrible memory. And now he's taken all that I have. You know what I mean? Right. I'm like, so I never gave him his name. I never told him where he was. I heard he's in jail now for quite a few years right. for subsequent offenses. But um, that was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'd say it was because of crack. Um yeah, because you'd sell your grandmother for crack. Oh, my God. You know I mean? <laughs> Don't I know it? I know, and all my friends who were like heroin purists when I started smoking the crack, they were like, oh, my God, you've really gone downhill. It's funny to have a junkie, you know, with a needle in their arm looking at you telling you you've gone downhill because you've added crack to the mix. You know what I mean? But, but it's true. I did stuff on crack that, oh, my God, I would not have done anything or for anything. Yeah. It just turns you into an immediate to- fiend. I had one guy say, want to go out for the night? We'll go smoke. He owned a business. Uh-huh. Three days later, the business had no money left in the bank account. His car was wrapped around a pole because he left it to a dealer. He rented it out because, you know. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, you like, can use my car. Just ball. give me some rocks. <laughs> totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so his car was wrapped around a pole. The business had no money left in the bank account. And everything was gone. And I was like, it was nice knowing you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, exactly. Like, I feel like a shit bag because I, I totally had a hand in it. But hey, you know what? You shouldn't have invited me along. I'm, I was, a you know, smoking crack. I'm a junkie. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Know what you get. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing is they say that they say in the program that, you know, all we care about when we're doing that is the getting and using and finding ways and means to get more. And I totally agree with that because that's all your life becomes about. It's like, I mean, it's funny because, you know, after you make amends to people and you have to deal with the same people that, you know, you, you created issues with or that, you know, you fucked over or stolen from or, or whatever. And it's like, they still don't know us as the real us. They still know us as crack fiend. You know, they still know us as basehead or junkie or, or anything. It's like, God, I wouldn't do that shit sober for all the money in the world. Like, I don't care if I was about to be homeless and evicted. I wouldn't do any of the stuff I did to get a hit, to get a fix right now. I just, ugh. I have been homeless. I have been have been homeless and evicted because of um like and and wouldn't dare do what i did you know what i mean yeah like, yeah yeah if i just was like forget it you know and it, it was just and i have people now that i'm like still trying to make amends with and i'm like they're like oh she's this she, you don't fucking know me it's 10 years later i'm not her you know what i mean but they don't believe that they still see you as the person you know, ripping and running and this and that and, you know, whatever. But it's like you're 
there's something new. And it's like, I've tried to make amends so many times and it's like, I'm done trying. You know what I mean? It's right. like, I'm here if you want to come through or whatever and try to get to know me. But, you know, I got better fucking things to do. I have kids that to worry about. I have, you know, just people that I help, you know, with addiction and all this other stuff and my own sobriety to worry about. Right. So I'm not chasing people anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, it's been 10 years. If you haven't, if you haven't accepted it by now, I don't think you're going to. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's like at this point, if they haven't already, then then they might not. And you just have to keep doing what you're doing. Like they say, attraction, not yep. promotion. Um, right. But yeah, no. And that's one thing, especially for um, our women addicts, you know, is it's like we've had some shit happen to us, like sexual trauma from when we were out there that uh, men don't have. And by the same token, I'm not saying all men don't have it. I know men who were completely heterosexual and they were anything but that when they were using because they needed a fix or vice versa right. you know they're gay and they were totally heterosexual when they needed a fix right. it's like but for women it's yeah. like it's so much e you know it's really easier to you know give up your body when you don't have anything else to sell and it's a gross right. feeling and, and it takes a long time to get through that shit and a lot of yeah, the using like a lot of the drinking and using is just to make those feelings stop you know, when you're you're sober and you're going, ugh, because you remember all the stuff you did. Right. And, like, fortunate, fortunately, I have a good game. Unfortunately, that's why I have so many people that hate me now in my recovery because I took, took, took. And I didn't have to um, resort to that, thankfully. Uh -huh. But I did go out with married men and go on their arm as a trophy and get paid for it. I didn't have to do anything, fortunately. But I, I made sure that I had another guy meet me at the place when it was time to go. So... I, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I didn't have to deal with it. But my, my sister who lives in Worcester, um, Mass, she started a um, nonprofit for women who, you know, for a sexual explo exploitation called Lyft. Um, she runs a program out there. Because okay, she wait, was, tell me. Know, it's called Lyft? L-I-F-T? L-I-F-T, yep. Living Lyft. in Freedom Together. And that's, and it's in Worcester, Mass? Yep. And it's for people that, um, you know, she's trying to get a, a house up and running. And um, it's for, it's she works with people who have been, like, sexually exploited and stuff like that. And, right. you know, she's gotten some awards for turning her life around, you know. So that is really cool. I know sister. there's something like yeah. that here in the Bay Area. I believe it's in Petaluma. And um, I promise the listeners I will I'll get on finding out where that is so that we can have a show about that. But if you are in the Massachusetts area and you are a sex worker or you were a sex worker, um, you should look up Lyft in Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester is spelled W-O-O-S-T-E-R, right? W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. <laughs> See, I would never have yeah. got, It's like Worcestershire sauce. It's like I would never. Okay. Yeah, I know all my friends in Boston are yeah. laughing at me right now with my, you know, <laughs> the way I can. I'm like, is it Wooster? <laughs> like, um, okay, but I just, it's it's women. I think when we get together and we share our stories and we share our experience, strength and hope, that's when we can help other people. So what age were you when you first started using? Um, I started at, um, drinking and smoking cigarettes about 11 between 11 and just about 12 uh -huh. um, is when I started. But the, I was a full-blown opiate addict by 14. Oh, my God. So, um, 
Yeah. Um, at 15, I was babysitting my um, Coke Jailer's house. He was giving me a bowl of cocaine to hang out. They would all go to the packy for us, and I'd babysit their huge house while uh-huh. <laughs> while I was, you know, they went out for the night to watch the stash. I mean, so by the time I was 14, 15, I was done. <laughs> right. It was a wrap for me. What and how, what so, kind of drugs were, how were you using the opiates? Were you injecting? Um, no, no, no. I didn't start injecting um, until I was about 20, between 25 and 26. Okay. Um, and that was like the last. But um, my mom was, she died when I was 19, but she was a nurse and she broke her back when I was five. And she was on pain pills um, her entire life. Oh. And she actually would refuse to take them. And, um, you know, I always knew she had them around the house and she had extras and this and that. And it started like I would see what Darvisette was. And I'm like, that shit sucks. And it's like, yeah, Darvisette you know, sucks. Was, yeah, yeah. And it's like she was getting Percocet. And it's like by the time I was um, 19, I had had my first child. And she, um, you know, I, I couldn't even believe that it was killing me, Dana, to drive four blocks she'd be like could you pick up my prescription it was oc80s and allotted for breakthrough pain and it's like at this point i was only like using you know perks and stuff like that and i was too scared to Uh go you know to the allotted and the oc80s because they were new you know what i mean like relatively at that time but um so i didn't get into that but it would keep killing me because I wanted to try. <laughs> right. But I didn't. But I was um, a daily drinker from the time I was 15, 16. Um, going to school with, you know, I, I remember waking up hungover one day, not forgetting that I had a quarter pound of pot in my front pocket and um, going into school. Like, what is this brick? And I looked inside and I was like, oh, shit. Went and found my girlfriend. And I was like, we got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Um, and it was just, yeah, and I was, it was more like acid. At 14, I started doing acid, um, shrooms, all that kind of stuff. It was normal at that, you know, that's what everyone was doing. So it was like crazy. You know what I mean? Like, just, I did acid for years. It's like, if I did it now, I'd probably lose my mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, I, I could never imagine doing, like, anything like that now. But it's yeah, by the time I was 14, it was full on opiates. I was, I would get totally sick if I didn't have them. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like, I think, I think if I drank enough, I'd feel good, you, you know, not realizing that I'd feel like shit. <laughs> I'd feel even worse. Oh my God. Yeah. I will, yeah. So I'd, you know, go and take out of mom's, you know, and it was hard. You know what I mean? And I feel terrible. God rest her soul. I mean, because then she like, when I was like, I moved out when I was 16 and, um, you know, I'd be like, oh, I was waitressing and all that stuff. And, and I'd be like, yeah, my back hurts, my feet hurt. She'd be like, oh, take a couple of these. And she'd leave me with perks and, you know, oh, leave me wow. with perks or whatever. Yeah. So I was doing those. And then I started bartending when I was 19. So it wasn't hard to get my hands on stuff. Oh, you know, my God. It, you just had it all kind yeah, of right in front of you. It found you. Like I started, like I said, 19, I was behind a bar and, you know, I was at nightclubs bartending. So the ecstasy and everything was there all the time. And then it's at the sports bars. It was the pills and the Coke and uh-huh. the alcohol, obviously, you know, but it ruined my life. It, it right. really did. It ruined the family that I had then, you know, I got a game 
else because then it's like oh there's Kena when I'd be spending three thousand dollars a day in Kena and you know in lottery and it's like I'm draining the bank account and it's like um, once I broke up with my ex, um, he was like, you spent like $10,000 on drugs. And I'm like, no, wait, it was all drugs. I did, I gambled a lot too. <laughs> like it makes a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. Where it, whether it was up my nose, my ass, or in somebody's drawer, it was like, yeah, it was gone. You know what I mean? It's like in a matter of months. And it was a lot on drugs, obviously, but it was horrible. Like I almost got our condo foreclosed on twice and, you know, taking out loans from family members that I shouldn't have. Right. Never paid them back, you know, and it was horrible. Like, the you know, like I would get a fake receipt book. Yeah. I'd have a fake receipt book. Oh, I had one of those. I totally like have one of those. <laughs> yes. Every junkie did. I know. That's so funny. <laughs> like, I just I'll found just mine recently. I was like, what is this? And then I remembered, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I paid that bill. See, here's a receipt to prove it. Oh my God. Pencil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I can sign anybody's name. You know? Me too. <laughs> it's like, me too. And I can write my own name with my left hand and make it look like I didn't write it. I mean, junkies are crafty, crafty people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. I'm like, I don't know if I could ever be with someone who wasn't an addict. I'm like, not, I don't mean to sound, you know, like, but I used to think that they just weren't as intelligent. It's like, you know what? No, maybe it's because they have a good heart and they're willing to give people chances. And we just have three wheels going all the time in our heads. We have every angle covered at all times. Yeah. And even when you're clean, you still think like an addict. Yeah. It's whether you choose to you know use that or not you know what I, mean? I could do a lot of things to you know make my income better or this or that but i choose not to because it's addictive behavior and i know once i fall into that it's just going to lead me into other things right i'll make up excuses for that aren't bad you know it'll wake the beast up so to speak so so what's your blog called it is called ramblings of a recovering addict um and it's on facebook I started on Facebook, and as you can tell, like I said, I like to talk um, and ramble on, <laughs> so <laughs> ramblings is a perfect word, but um, it covers basically um, everything from DV to PTSD to um, uh, mental illness, uh, homelessness, anything that I've been through, I pretty much um, will talk about, and it, it's... Uh, I do a lot of like uh, I post open beds and um, detoxes. Basically, it's just me venting what where life has taken me and how it's got me there and what's going on. And, you know, and I started it, um, like I said, because um, my husband had just been arrested for a DV incident while we were in a hotel shelter. Uh-huh. Those two little kids and I had, no, I had nobody and my girlfriend's like blog it and I'm like what are you talking about and she's like well just blog it and I'm like okay so I started just going and it's been three and a half years I think oh so, good for you I mean it, yeah it's basically people you know it helps me because people are like you know you have no idea you've hit on exactly how I've been feeling but I've been so embarrassed to tell somebody this or you know um oh my God, I was thinking the same thing. I needed to hear this. Like I tell them all the time, I'm not a counselor. I am by no means, you know, able to counsel anybody. It's my opinion. It's my personal 
experiences and that's all that I can give to them Mm -hmm. um, is advice on what I've been through. Um, I can't tell you what you should do because everyone else's, everyone's life is different, but there are some toxic relationships and toxic, um, you know, situations that I will tell you, get the fuck out because it's stupid, especially if you're in recovery, you know, um, and I'll have people message me, and now I have people all over the world that I've connected with. It's nice. No, I totally, I totally get that, and I, I've said before, I, I really believe in us recovering out loud because people need to see this, and people need to see what we go through because it's a thing, and there are more addicts than people think there are. There's more clean and sober addicts and alcoholics than people think there are, and and. We just need to make everyone aware of it, I think. I, I mean, I think it's all about awareness. And it's, it's you know, we can't stay in the closet, so to speak, because uh, that doesn't that's never worked for anybody historically. Like, we have to come out and talk about this stuff. Like, what you're doing with your blog, um, you said it's ramblings of a recovering addict, right? Yeah, and, and it's on Facebook. And it's yeah. on Facebook. Okay, so, yeah, people can yeah. go to that and they can check out your blog. Um, I applaud you for doing this for three years because I ha- I'm supposed to have a blog at Radio.Rehab, and it's all I can do to maybe write one every month. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I get yeah. I sit down and I'm like, oh, I don't feel like writing when I get home. But every time I write, you know, it helps people. So I feel bad that I don't do it more often, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but, and it's like it's like um, I had the kids, and it's like when they settle down and this and that, and it's like I'm a single mom right now, and it's like I'm not the single mom that has parents that I can drop my kids off to for the weekend, and I go out to the bar or the club with my friends, or the single mom that gets to work, you know, five days a week, and you know has a babysitter. Like I just was talking to someone the other day, and my kids are nine and six, and. I'm looking to leave them with a babysitter for the second time, like this week. It's ever? Like, I hate ever, ever. Oh child. my god! <laughs> and it's my and it's their brother. So I'm like, oh, that's yeah. funny. That's it's so like, funny. I, I applaud people that can have family that helps them. Yeah. And people that can get out there and do their thing. I I, I wish I did. I just don't. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not fortunate enough to have those kind of relationships with my family. Um, I, I, like I said, I wish I was, um, but it's just my kids are what keeps me going. And, you know, just knowing that they're there is, you know, it's like I, and the other time I went out, I think it was gone for three hours. It's Uh, like, and all I would do is go home. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because what is there to do out there? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I know. And it's like, I can't work because, um, in 2005 I was on dialysis, all the drugs I've done, I had a fucking allergic reaction to Motrin um, and ended up with, with, um, yes. And ended up with major kidney failure, um, had 2% kidney function and 24 hours to live when I got to the hospital. Oh my God. From Motrin. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it does Motrin. say like yeah. if you have kidney problems or liver problems not to take it, but I guess you didn't know no, you did. had those. No, I didn't. I, and I was 25. Oh, my and I'm God. Like, I'm, I'm, and all of a sudden, I'm like gaining this weight and I'm puking everywhere and I was septic and I didn't know. And I got to the hospital and I was there for like five weeks on dialysis. Um, and then my heart and my liver started going as well because they once one starts going, the rest start going. Yeah. So I've had issues since then, and unfortunately, I can't work. 
I've got all these other things that have, you know, taken over too. And it's, I wish I could work. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to be able to work, but I can't. And it sucks. But I mean, I have my kids, like I said, you know, I'm with them all the time. And I don't know what I'm going to do when I go back to school. Oh, <laughs> no, I know. Or, or once they all graduate and move away, hopefully they go to college nearby. <laughs> My oldest is 19 and she goes to college down the street, but she lives with a boyfriend. Oh, but she's just down the street. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, she is. So, you know, um, she actually got accepted to a real a whole bunch of really prestigious schools and everyone wanted her to go. And and she wanted to go to a local community college and decide what she wanted to do. And everyone flipped. Oh, they're like, what do you, you waste your life? You did it. And I was like, shut up. We all had a chance to fuck up our own lives. Let her take her a chance. Right. You know, let her do what she wants to do. So, you know, she's hopefully going to become a registered nurse. She's in the science program now. Ooh. And she's looking to, yeah. So, you know, it's all up to her. But we had our chance. Yeah. You know? it's, it's not, uh, it's not our turn to screw up our kids' lives. Yeah. You know, enough parents do that. I know. know. I like your thinking. <laughs> so, I like your thinking on that. <laughs> Well, I want to give a shout out to your blog one more time. It's The Ramblings of a Recovering Addict. Her name's Tracy Levine, and you can find the blog on Facebook. Tracy, thank you so much for being with us this week. It's been great having you on, even though though you're all the way in in Massachusetts. I could see you because we're on Skype, but nobody else can, but that's okay. But hopefully a lot of people will go read your blog and... um, yeah, if you'd like to email Radio, radio Rehab, it's uh, Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. And you can also go to Radio.Rehab. Thank you for listening and keep coming back. Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll